This is Kenny and Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. It is Kenny and Heilprin back again. Podcast special. The Brewers bumped us out of the time slot again this week. So no call numbers to read out, but podcast special. So do all that stuff. Subscribe, rate, review. You want something heard or talked about on the show, leave a five-star review with your comment. We got a couple. We'll get to them at the end of today's show. Zach, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Ben. So I'm looking forward to today. Now, I am not the biggest fan of aimless rankings. Chris Sims puts out his NFL quarterback rankings and makes half of the states in the country just go crazy. I'm not a fan of the one to whatever, because you can argue so many different ways. But I do like the grouping of quarterbacks. And that's what we're doing today. That's what the focus is. Now, ESPN put out their overall quarterback rankings. We're going to do it more focusing on the Big Ten. So starting with what ESPN put out earlier this week, their tiers of quarterbacks. Now, some of them, tier one was like Heisman contenders, your cream of the crop. As you go down, they're not really ordered in terms of who's better than who, but like you go down, they had, you know, he's fine. Uh, He's a starting quarterback, I guess. So we're going to throw him in this tier. But some of the tiers were very interesting. Now, Graham Mertz, you may wonder, he fell in tier 11, which was maybe this is the year they put it all together. And along with him was Oregon's Bo Nix, Georgia Tech's Jeff Sims, and Clemson's DJ Uyangale. I I ask you first, Zach, your first reaction to the ESPN quarterback tiers. Yeah, so I I uh, when I opened up that that story, I didn't really care about the tiers to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, so I Valid. just so I just typed in like you know you just go control find to find you know if, if like Wisconsin or somebody's mentioned. So I did that, and down to tier eleven we went, and uh, it definitely made sense or makes sense I should say. You think about the other guys that are in that tier with him. Some of the highest ranking uh, or higher ranks, highest ranked quarterbacks coming out of high school. And Graham Mertz is certainly a part of that. Guys that have had some success. I think, would we say Bo Nix has had the most success out of those guys? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Um, but guys that probably have, more failures as well. Yes. But uh, guys that have not lived up to what they were expected to be coming out of out of high school. And so he definitely probably does deserve to be in that grouping. So I, I guess I looked at him like, you know what, for once ESPN, not, I shouldn't say it uh, in this respect, ESPN, I think was right on the mark. The comparison between Graham Mertz and DJ Uyangale at Clemson is striking. And we we're talking about this earlier. So Mertz obviously starts his career with a, record-shattering performance against Illinois, and since then has really been faced with a rocky road for lack of a, of a better reference. DJU, on the other hand, comes in during the COVID year for Trevor Lawrence against, well, he played against Boston College, and then he went, and did they lose to Notre Dame? Was that that game that Notre Dame upset them? Yes, I believe it was. I mean, I, I, they definitely, Notre Dame definitely beat them. Um, but it was a really good back and forth game where he played really, really well. Yeah, he he performed great. He, he ended up uh, 66% completion, 7.8 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, no picks. Everybody thought, oh, I mean, Trevor Lawrence goes to the NFL. This guy's going to fill in. And then now, uh, last year, as the team's full-time starter, tell me if this sounds familiar, nine touchdowns, 10 picks, per, completion in the mid-50s, yards per attempt around six. Like he he has a had a Graham Mertz script to his career, so the, the comparison is is really striking. It definitely is. No, it it again. All these guys have talent. Like I I don't think Clemson missed on DJ. I don't think Al, uh, Auburn missed on Bo Nix. I certainly don't think Wisconsin missed on Graham Mertz. But it's it's more than just the talent. If it was just the talent, then the star rankings would be the only thing that matters. There's just there's just so much more that goes into it and. All three of these guys, and and really the other the ones that the other ones in the tier, are uh, have have followed similar uh, similar paths to where they are now. 
Yeah. So other highlights in the ESPN piece quick before we get to, so I put together tiers, uh, lists, a way to look at the big 10 quarterback landscape and tell the story of where we're at with the season. I'm not going one through 14, but grouping guys together, but quickly the ESPN had CJ Stroud, Caleb Williams, Bryce Young as the Heisman or bust top tier guys. You go down Utah's Cam rising in the second tier, Miami's Tyler Van Dyke, a lot of the cream of the crop guys up top. Uh, not a lot of Big Ten quarterbacks, obviously, except for Stroud. So, Zach, that brings me to my tiers, and I believe you're going to react to how I grouped the various players. And I have to say, I did include some backups here because there are some jobs that are yet to be decided in terms of yep. who's going to start. But speaking of C.J. Stroud, at the top, my first tier, the I cannot wait until he leaves to the NFL because good God, he is so good tier. That is CJ Stroud. I would put him up there with like, uh, I like the tier and he's, he's, he's in a tier by himself in the big 10. There's no doubt about it. Um, I was thinking of naming it. He doesn't belong in the big 10 tier. Uh, Cause I like he that. is, he is just at a different level than everybody else in the big 10. He's at a, I mean, he's, he is, he's going to be a top three pick. He could be the number one pick depending on uh, who get, who ends up getting it next year in the NFL. Like that's, that's the talent that he has. And it's kind of funny. Cause like people were like wondering if he was going to be able to step up. And I remember the Minnesota game last year where they were like, Oh my God, he's not going to be that great. And then obviously they came back and won that game, that Thursday night game. And eventually he, he uh, went off and uh, you know, I, the Oregon game too, right? Like the Oregon game that they lost, he didn't play great. Um, defensively, they were a bigger issue was a bigger issue there against uh, against Oregon, but he's just at a different level than everybody else in the Big Ten. So if my if the tier was, I, I agree with your tier. Like if you're for a Wisconsin fan, get him out of here as soon as possible. Though again, he's going to be gone, and and you, you just know the next one's going to be able to step up and step in, and and probably not going to miss a beat. Because right, didn't you didn't you say this last year? Like there's no chance. I mean, ju losing Justin Fields, there's no chance anybody can replace him. There's no one that's going to be able to replace his level of play. Uh, I'm not saying C.J. Stroud was at Justin Fields level, but he's right up there, isn't he? Oh, I did say that. And the problem looking at Stroud's year, there were definitely moments where he hit a really rocky road in terms of accuracy, completion. When he got pressured sometimes, it wasn't perfect. Michigan, but that's a guy yeah. that hasn't come in and, and started, and he's filling the shoes of Fields. I meant the Fields thing more of Fields was so good that it is impossible to live up to that. And I would say Stroud last year didn't because they lost to Michigan. They didn't win the Big Ten. But while also accepting the fact that Stroud has ridiculous arm talent, and I mean, he's only getting better. Like that Utah game that he played at the end of the year in the Rose Bowl is ridiculous. And you mentioned what Ohio State has next. I Recently, they landed Dylan Riola, who's bang, another five-star, which is, which is insane. And I have to ask, did you see the video of, Marvin Harrison Jr. getting off the line? No, but again, it's one of those things where you look just looked at what happened with their wide receivers in this past draft. I mean, uh, Olave and and uh, Garrett Wilson. Uh, th thank you. And then he had Jamison Williams, who yeah was in that room but transferred to Alabama and ended up going in the top twelve. So I mean, it's. I, I haven't seen the video. I'll look it up, but it should not surprise anybody that Ohio State's going to have some amazing wide receivers. And they, and obviously Jackson Smith and Njingba uh, is going to be probably the top wide receiver off the board next year. And we had the, uh, the old Twitter exchange that we talked about a couple weeks ago of Wisconsin secondary members saying, oh, uh, most explosive offense. Yeah, we'll see until we go there, which uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Don't poke, next. Don't poke the bear. Do not poke the bear, especially when the bear is that talented. Next, Zach, I have the, I guess he might be good because a lot of other people think so, tier. And that is Peyton Thorne at Michigan State and Aiden O'Connell at Purdue. Now, my struggle here is, like, with O'Connell, let's look at him first. His numbers were really good from last year. He clearly had a lot of big games, yet we saw what Wisconsin was able to do to him, and prefaced by Wisconsin's defense was ridiculous and Purdue couldn't run the ball. Like when I look at his year long totals, yeah, he had a really good year last year. He comes back, but I like, I'm not sold on him being 
let's say, step below Stroud, where is that second tier? Aiden O'Connell has talent, but everyone I feel like is crowning him as like the guy maybe in the Big Ten West. And I don't really buy that. I don't think I do. And Peyton Thorne, kind of similar. Like showed a lot of good stuff last year, but I'm not as sold on both of them as everybody else seems to be. You literally get a smile on your face every time you say AOC. But that's because it's a joke. Okay. All right. Just wondering because like it, I, I feel like anytime we start talking Purdue football, AOC is coming out of your mouth and there's a big smile on your face. And um, I think I would agree with you about the, the fact that was what Wisconsin did to him. It certainly affects my perception of him. Like I, like obviously I saw uh, the bowl game against Tennessee. Like that was, a, it was a remarkably fun game. Right. But I saw what he did against an actually talented defense, a good defense, a defense coordinator that was able to, to scheme that up. And he, it wasn't overly impressive. Like it was, I mean, it was, I don't want to say pathetic, but it was, it was, it was really, really bad. And so I, I agree with the tier of throwing him in there and Peyton Thorne's another guy. Like what does he do without, uh, uh, Kenneth Walker, the third, like, what does that what does that offense look like when you don't have a Heisman running back in the backfield? Now, again, maybe Jalen Berger or whoever steps into that spot is going to be just as good. And Michigan State is going to be just as good. But I think that there's a big question of whether he's going to be able to continue to be as successful as as he is based on uh, what production they lost out of that backfield. So looking down the stretch of Aiden O'Connell's season last year after the Wisconsin game, 233 and two tuds against Nebraska. 536 and three against a horrible Michigan State secondary, 390 and four against Ohio State, 423 and three against Northwestern, 278 and four touchdowns against Indiana. And then you mentioned it 534 yards, five touchdowns, three picks against Tennessee. Yet the Minnesota and the Wisconsin games, he combined for two touchdowns and four picks. Like I, I, I'm with you. I, I think he's good, but my, my perception is altered by that game. I definitely think he is in the upper tier of Big Ten West quarterbacks, but I'm not close to crowning him as someone who can be in a tier below Stroud. I think those guys might come from my next tier, which is the I am absolutely petrified of his potential tier. And that is Casey Thompson at Nebraska, the transfer they landed, and J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. Are we sure J.J. McCarthy is going to be the starting quarterback? Not at all. Michigan. Okay. All right. Not so like, yeah. So obviously K back back and potentially the starter there again, but you're right. JJ McCarthy. What scares you about JJ McCarthy? The fact he is very athletic and has a very live arm. He is yeah, not okay. refined. Like K McNamara was the right quarterback for them last year. I think because he did everything he needed. Great running game, great line, great defense. But now, maybe with some of those defensive pieces gone, they might need more from the quarterback. I think McCarthy can give them more. I just don't know if he's refined enough to be able to do all the little things. But if he can put it all together, I mean, former five-star has all the talent in the world. And Wisconsin doesn't face him, so you don't have to be that scared of him. Right. Um, but at least at least this year, unless it's a Big Ten championship game. And then the other guy I mentioned was Casey Thompson, the transfer from Texas, who's now at Nebraska. What scares you about him? I mean, he's dynamic. He showed it at Texas last year. I, I mean, hmm. I don't want to compare him to Adrian Martinez because they're different, <laughs> but I think he can definitely bring a similar, similar type of game. But you just hope that he's not, you hope that he's not uh, that because of some of the turnovers and some of the, the uh, horrendous and mind boggling throws that uh, Mr. Martinez would make at times, right? Like that's, like that's what they're hoping is going to be the difference between him and and uh, Casey Thompson, right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, I mean, again, I think Casey Thompson is up there with probably some of the better quarterbacks that they've had. Uh, but again, it's it's not a it's not a long list. Do you think quarterback was their issue last year? Like, is that the reason why they weren't able to win game close games at the end? Well, special teams was undoubtedly their big issue, but I think the quarterback played into a bunch of those losses. Okay. Yeah. Uh, guys that you're scared of, I think you're just, I think you're just scared of Nebraska actually being good. Putting it I together. Think, I am. Yes. I think, I think you are. And I think that's probably what some 
uh, people in the West are are worried about. But again, until they actually do it, like until they actually beat Wisconsin, it's hard to be scared of them. I'm not saying they're not going to beat Wisconsin this year. That's not what I'm saying. But like until they do it, it's like, all right, I keep on hearing how great Nebraska is going to be this year. I, I keep on hearing how great, like Scott Frost, this is the year that he's going to take the step. This is going to be the step that they take. And it just, it doesn't happen. So like how many times do we have to tell ourselves, oh my God, I'm so worried about Nebraska when they, when they don't actually follow through with you sh- actually being worried about Nebraska. So I know Wisconsin, it was a great game last year, but Wisconsin hasn't lost to them since 2011. Oh, excuse me, 2012. Like it, Let's just let them beat Wisconsin one time, and then you can perhaps start worrying about them on a, on a yearly basis. Yeah, you're right about that. I, I think when you look across the quarterbacks Wisconsin will face this year, and I guess that's where the potential thing comes in, is I think Casey Thompson could be the clear second best behind Stroud when it's all said and done. And I, I don't know if Adrian Martinez was the second best quarterback they faced last year. I'd probably say he isn't. No, Cade McNamara probably, right? Cade McNamara's up there. But if Nebraska does somehow put it together, he does have the talent to to scare me. But, I mean, him and JJ are similar. Like, there's definitely talent. Question is, if the potential is reached, then I think they could be really dangerous. Uh, Moving on, you just mentioned his name, but he's the only one in this tier. He is a Big Ten quarterback tier, and that's just Cade McNamara. (laughs) That's all I could say. He is a Big Ten quarterback. That's that's what you got for him? Like, he's fine. You know, he's good. He brought Michigan to the playoff. He's not on the level of C.J. Stroud or name an Ohio State quarterback in the in the last couple of years. Like, he's fine. He's a, he's, he was fine for that team last year. Exactly. I think, I mean, it goes without saying, Wisconsin would do anything to have Kane McNamara say under center last year. I think the year could go could have gone differently, but he's not think, blowing anyone away. Do you think that was the biggest difference between Wisconsin and Michigan last year? No, uh, Michigan obviously had what three first round picks on its defense. They had the number one, or he didn't go number one, the number two overall pick. Another guy that would have gone top fifteen. They they had first round picks littered all over the defense. Michigan's line was a lot better. Their running tandem was undoubtedly better. But I think McNamara would have been an upgrade over Mertz last season. Yes, agreed. All right. And this tier uh, moving on is one that we had mentioned a little bit before, but the how the hell is he still in college tier? And the two I put down for this are Tanner Morgan at Minnesota and Sean Clifford at Penn State. And you had one to add to that. I did. And I know you probably put him uh, in a lower tier, but like, how is Noah Vedral still in college? How is that? How is that possible? He has been in college forever. Um, and it's not just obviously, um, in one spot, right? <laughs> it's yeah. not even just, it's not even just in two spots. He's been at three different schools and he's still got one more year to go. He's, he started his career at UCF. He was at Nebraska, uh, now he's at Bennett Rutgers for two years and, uh, you know, he's got this, he's got his final year going. And, and obviously that's the same way with Tanner Morgan, but Tanner Morgan actually <laughs> has spent his whole, his whole career at one spot. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the tier that you're going to put him in is going to be how the hell is he a big 10 quarterback tier, right? Is that, is that accurate? The reason the big 10 is a running conference tier. Okay. All right. Yep. So that, I could, <laughs> I, and I see that. He's still got, you know, in his career, he's actually uh, got a positive touchdown to interception ratio. He's thrown 17 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. But I, uh, he's a guy that I'm like, how the hell is he still in school type of thing? Yeah. The, uh, the Sean Clifford, Tanner Morgan comp is interesting to me because they're both, I could throw them in the Big Ten quarterback tier, right? Because they're not yep. going to wow you, uh, them two either, kind of with McNamara. They definitely have had some really good years, both of them. They have done some winning, but they're they're not really going to wow you, you know, to the, their ceiling is not close to that of an Adrian Martinez or a Casey Thompson or a JJ McCarthy in theory. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're old as hell. I don't know how Clifford's still at Penn State more than how Morgan is still at Minnesota, but it does feel kind of odd. Like 
with Tanner Morgan, you know, obviously being the quarterback in the, uh, the 2019 game. And then also for a nearly a full season before that, how, how he is still their quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, and the fact is he, he looks about 85 with, cause he's, he, he's, um, he looks older than Fleck. He, he does, especially with the work that Fleck has done, has, yes. has had done. So he, Maybe you know what? I actually you put those two guys two guys next to each other. They kind of look similar now. Uh, obviously, Tanner Morgan is that because they're bald? Uh, no, they are follically challenged. They are follically <laughs> challenged. <laughs> so, so let's let's be fair about that. But yeah, no, I mean Tanner Morgan has been there forever. He's got to be uh, in terms of quarterbacks that have uh, uh, beaten Wisconsin multiple times. Like he has he has to be on like a list by himself at this point. Uh, he started the 2018 game yep. and was also there obviously for, for last year's game. So, uh, and he'll, I mean, he'll have a chance to, to beat him three times, which I have to imagine that it goes back a long, long ways to find the last quarterback that beat Wisconsin, the, the last Minnesota quarterback that beat Wisconsin three times. Um, so he, he feels like he's been there forever. I don't really feel that same way as Sean Clifford just because Wisconsin hasn't faced them every year, but Noah Vedral and, and Tanner Morgan, definitely how the hell are they still in school type of thing. And uh, Clifford and, and Morgan both this coming year. And in general, if the systems around them are perfect, like if, if Mo Ibrahim's great and Minnesota gets good production from the outside, Morgan can go out and have a good year. Like 2019, he had two NFL guys on the outside. And yeah. I, I mean, he was what? the second best quarterback in the conference that year behind fields. Yeah, yeah for sure. For so, sure. I mean, 30 touchdowns. Yeah. 32, 30 touchdowns, 7,200 yards, yards yeah, per attempt was, over 10. Yeah. So both of those you, guys are ones that can go out and do some winning, but they can, they, are, they can, they can, if they have NFL guys around them. Um, I'm not, I don't necessarily think that they have a Rashad Bateman or a Tyler Johnson uh, suiting up for them this fall. But again, we'll see. But both of their floors are pretty set, I would say. They're not going to give you a big bust year, I don't think, at this point in the career. Uh, moving on, this is probably the one that many are waiting to hear. It is the, I have no idea if this is his year, but he has potential, but he has not looked good. But damn it, I want him to be good. And that is Graham Mertz of Wisconsin. I feel like that is it. it's a tier by himself. That could be a lot of these guys, but yes, for but me... Like for you personally, there are no others where I say, damn it. I want him to be good. I've seen some rankings of the big 10 quarterbacks that, uh, that have Graham higher than, than some of these uh, other guys we've already talked about. I know we're not doing rankings one through 14. Uh, I have continued to say that I am a believer in Graham Mertz, but my level and optimism level of optimism has gone down in the last obviously two years, like my, I, I still believe he can be a good quarterback. I don't know what's going to happen, but I still believe he's got all the tools to be a good quarterback. It's a matter of, you know, some things coming around him, uh, better pass protection, ability to run the ball against everybody. Um, you know, having some guys on the outside, step up and make plays for you on a consistent basis. But again, it has to be him taking that, uh, a rather significant leap from where we saw him last year. And from where we saw him in spring, um, to be able to reach what everyone thought he could be, uh, not not even maybe not even what he thought he could be, but what uh, he needs to be for Wisconsin to be uh, not just a Big Ten West con, uh, contender, but a, a contender for the Big Ten title. He needs to be significantly better than than where he has been, and I don't. That's obviously very obvious to everybody, uh, but I still believe that he's got that in him somewhere. I agree. Uh... Yeah, we've seen all the flashes. I saw something interesting today. It was posted some stats from last year. It said his on-target rate on the deep ball last year ranked 511 out of 513 qualified quarterbacks over the last five years, going back that long. So I yeah, there are yeah. definitely specific areas to clean up, but I think uh, it is undoubted that he has shown enough to think there is something there. Maybe this could be the year. That's kind of what I think going in it's like i know what he was last year i obviously hope there is improvement there what if it just is the year that it all clicks 
Well, here's the thing. He's got he's got two years left, technically three, if you if you really want to d- dive into it, um, which I don't think anybody wants Man. to at this point. But uh, I look at you. You mentioned those stats. I got tagged in that in that post, so I saw it <laughs> as well. And uh, the biggest thing that stands out about that is the completion percentage versus pressure. Yep. 38, 38.9%. That's, I mean, that, that's uh, the, in the bottom 40 percentile of college football. That obviously can't happen. Uh, and he was under pressure too much, in my opinion. Uh, there was, especially early in the season against um, Penn State and Michigan, some of the, the, the more rough games for him in that, uh, in that season, he was under pressure a ton. Now, I think he has to be better under pressure, but I also think Wisconsin has to protect him better. And I think the, uh, the offense in general kind of has to help with that as well uh, to, to set up some things to take the pressure off of him to get the ball out of his hands quicker. But that, that to me, is the number that stood out, and um, that has to be better. They have to be better under pressure. He has to be under pressure, be better under pressure, and they have to protect him. Agree completely. I think, uh, gun to my head right now, if I had to say a number out of, say, 14, but I'll include a couple more, or maybe I'll group together, say, J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara. If I had to say where he stands projecting into this year, I'd probably say 7th or 8th. Tell me the guys you're going to take over. Stroud, Thorne. Two. O'Connell. Three. AOC, sorry. Three. Casey Thompson. You don't get two for that just because you changed just you threw the uh, nickname in there. Casey Thompson, four. JJ slash Cade McNamara. Five. Tanner Morgan. Six. Sean Clifford. Seven. So you're going, you're going eight there with him. Yeah. And I would take Mertz ahead of the guy in the next tier, which is the Heisman against non-conference teams, but absolutely sucks in Big Ten play. And that is Talia Tugavailoa. Uh, maybe just Maryland in general he had some moments moments early last season he had some moments you would say Uh, I kind of like him better than than maybe you do but I understand where that's coming from I do because against some of the better teams he faced it it didn't go as well but I, I mean that's Maryland as you said he started off his season last year 332 yards, three tuds against West Virginia, 274 and three against Howard. Then they play Illinois. He goes 350 and one. Then they play Kent State, 384, three, one pick. And then they get to uh, Iowa. And it kind of, that's when the picks started coming. But yeah, um, running up against it a bit uh, and to run through. Now we get to the lower tiers. Now we get to the, the guys nine to 15 or 16. The reason the Big Ten is a running conference tier. I mentioned Noah Vedral earlier, but Ryan Helinski and Tommy at Northwestern and Tommy DeVito at Illinois. This is like a these guys are the reason, or maybe their team is a running and then they get a guy like this, but they are the reason their team does not have a dynamic passing attack. Like Illinois is going to run the hell out of the football because Tommy DeVito is not going to come out there and wow you with his arm. I can't say that about like Aiden O'Connell has shown ability to win games with his arm. I don't think any of those three guys can do it. Uh, if you were not a homer, would Graham Mertz be in this category? No, because we've seen it from him once. I do even think back and would they have lost these games? No, but the Rutgers in the Northwestern game last year, I would classify that as like he, he threw the hell out of the football and he, he threw picks in both, but there was a lot of good stuff there. I don't think I've ever seen it or will see it from these three. All right. All right. Maybe I guess an optimistic view, but. No, but I, I think if you were to ask people from uh, other schools or people that cover this team to put where they would put Graham Mertz, obviously would not have a category like you do, <laughs> like you do uh, <laughs> with, with, with him in it. You could see him being put in this category, especially when it comes to Wisconsin, because Agreed. Wisconsin runs the ball and they run the ball a lot and they are going to run the ball a lot this year. And you could at least make the argument that it's because they don't have 
uh, a dynamic player at quarterback that's that's able to take advantage of all the things that are open um, because of the run game. But again, I'm not saying that you're wrong, or I'm not saying that that uh, you shouldn't be hopeful that Graham can can be that guy. I, I just think from an outsider's perspective, it's possible possible that they may put him in the same category. I agree completely. And and I've seen him group with this and it's completely understandable. I'm just the Homer goggles are going to come on just to differentiate him from them. I guess I got is you. what I, I got. You. I, got I needed you. to do my public service to the state. Uh, moving on the, I have absolutely no idea tier. That is Connor Basilak at Indiana. Uh, the transfer from, I believe, Missouri. Correct. Like, I have no idea what he's going to look like. Well, he was the co-freshman of the year in the SEC in 2020. Did not have nearly as much success this time. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, next year. or Michael last year, Penix Jr. was like the best quarterback ever in 2020. And then tore his ACL. And yep. that, was, that was about it. Injuries. They're, they're a, yeah, they're not, they're a bitch. I'll say it. Mm. He, he is mentioned later, by the way, Penix Jr. Okay. Uh, the... It is organizational malpractice to give this guy the starting job in 2022 tier. Spencer Petras, Iowa. And why do you feel that way? Because every single time I watched them play, which is was a lot last year, it was so clear that Alex Padilla was a better option at quarterback. I think the best way to explain it is, like, Iowa's line was not good last year. It was not up to par of Iowa. And a lot of pressure came on the quarterback. And somewhere along the line, Kirk or Brian Ferns told Spencer Petras, we would rather you take sacks than make any risks with the ball because of how good our defense has been, you know, obviously forcing turnovers. We, we watch it happen against Wisconsin. We watch it happen in a lot of their games. Every single time something broke down or they were a little bit behind the sticks, Petras would get sacked and they would punt. And they had a weapon at punter and that helped them win games. The recipe was okay, but they couldn't move the ball when they needed to. And then Alex Padilla would come in and he would actually show something. He could actually go up and down the field a little more. So I don't mean it as like, I don't think Petrus is very good. I mean it more as, I mean, Alex Padilla is the key to them actually scoring points. Did you look at what Alex Padilla did last year? By no means was it, you know, great. But they percent 49% completion rate, 5.7 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, two interceptions. This is this is the guy that's going to revolutionize Iowa's offense and make them... Well, he could run the ball a little bit. I, I just think he's less of a statue back there. Oh, definitely less of a statue. Uh, Spencer Petrus, though, I mean, neither neither of those guys scares you, though, right? Like, I, I neither of them does, and... Didn't uh, didn't Iowa just lose one of one of their top receivers? Like because he didn't want to play with Spencer Petrus, Charlie Jones. Yep, uh, yeah. All Big Ten kick returner, and he was going to be one of their primary receivers. He is transferring to it was or there was a crystal ball today. I'll say that to Purdue to play with AOC. Yeah, so I mean, I that would obviously lead you to believe that. Uh, He's not confident in what they're going to be doing there, and it's probably going to be Spencer Petrus again. Um, I don't. Uh, I the, the biggest problem at Iowa is not the quarterback. I mean, obviously they're not playing, not playing well. But the biggest problem is is the offense coordinator. It's it's uh, Kurt Ferentz's devotion to his son and not moving on and not trying to change stuff up when it's not working. Um, that to me is is their biggest issue. Uh, quarterback. If you had a better quarterback, would things look better? likely obviously but uh i think it starts with the office coordinator and, and maybe a, a new voice in uh in that building at some point uh before 2050 i agree i i i saw funny stats last year they were the worst on first down they were the worst running team yet every single time they got the ball they ran on first down like kind of like what like what Wisconsin does, but they have some success with it. Iowa would just have one yard gain, two yard gain, and it would totally derail where their offense is going. Overall, yeah. it is a, uh, let's say the, uh, if it's organizational malpractice to start Petrus, there is a lot of organizational problems. Uh, in addition, I completely agree. Uh, There's the last two quickly, couple minutes left here. The backups that will be forced into the starter role because the starter's not good tier. 
And that is Alex Padilla, who I talked about. I think Arthur Sitkowski or Arthur Sitkowski at Illinois, Gavin Wimsat at Rutgers and Jack Tuttle at Indiana. And all of those are more about maybe my doubt of the starting quarterbacks than say me thinking any of those guys are, are great. But yeah, that's your second to last tier. No comment on that tier because uh, who really gives a crap? Mm. Jack Tuttle did win a game in Madison 2020. No, he uh, did not. No, he did not. <laughs> he, no, was under he, did court. not. he was under center when Indiana won a game. There Let's you say go. That. He um, did not win anything. Finally, the, the tier I've been looking forward to the, I thought he was really good, but then he made me look stupid and ended up transferring tier, which is Michael Penix Jr. Indiana to Washington and Mr. Adrian Martinez, Nebraska to Kansas State. Your boy, Adrian. You th- I mean, hey. He's going to be he, so good this year. He led the best three-win team in the history of college football last year. So, uh, if, According to me. If this doesn't get put, I mean, I don't know how he gets put in a tier like this. It's just ridiculous. I mean, he was fantastic. He was amazing. He was everything you could hope for in a quarterback until the end of games. And then he couldn't do it. Hey, much he to pressured your, a lot. Much to your chagrin. Special teams ruined it. Listen, I, I accept all of his flaws. I also accept that he was probably the second best quarterback in the conference last year. Yeah, again, I think going through this entire list, uh, that's not really saying a lot. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. uh, pretty much, isn't almost every starter is back? Uh, especially, I mean, not everyone, but almost all the starters are back from last year. Yep. Minus... Martinez and that's it really. Yeah. So uh, we've, we've gone through this entire tier and I don't see, I mean, outside of Stroud and maybe O'Connell. Okay. Uh, and maybe McCarthy when he, if he's going to be, ends up being that guy. I don't see, I don't see the NFL. I don't see a lot of NFL talent here. Yes. That, that I definitely agree with. So, I mentioned this earlier, but uh, where Graham Mertz falls along this, let's say if we had to put a number on it, I said mine would be eight. I would put seven above him. Zach, are you in a are you in a similar area? I am. Uh, I, I, I went through this earlier today, and I kind of would agree with you uh, with uh, C.J. Stroud, right? Aiden, Aiden O'Connell, Peyton Thorne. AOC. AOC. Um, uh, Casey Thompson, Sean Clifford, Tanner Morgan, the Michigan duo. That's, those are all guys that you had, had above him. Yeah. That was it for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of would take, uh, to his brother, uh, maybe, um, even though the again, even though it was against poor competition, I don't know. Graham Graham's right there. Like Graham is is kind of in the middle of everything. I I probably would throw him right in about the same spot you would at this point. Do I think he can be better some uh, than some of the guys that I chose him ahead of? Yes. Like I think he can be better than Sean Clifford. I think he'd be better than Tanner Morgan. I think he'd be better than uh, Casey Thompson. I don't know about. Uh, I think he'd be better than Peyton Thorne. Like, I think he can be better all the, all those guys. He just hasn't been to this point. And that, um, you know, I, I maybe it's just because I've seen him just a, a ton and I, I have seen so many of his throws in practice that I know he can make certain throws. He just hasn't necessarily done it in the game that I still believe that he can do those type of things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'd put him right there, seven or eight. And, uh, but I think he's better than some of the guys that I, Put above him at this point. He just hasn't played like it on the field. And so I would take those other guys at this point. So I agree. Uh, ceiling talk. If we had to say what, like best case scenario, where could he finish? I would probably say third in the big 10, if not second. Yeah, like I believe Casey Thompson is going to play himself into above Thorne, above O'Connell. I think Mertz's best case scenario, the ceiling could be up there at third. People are going to think we're just uh, absolutely um, out of our minds when we're talking about this, but I, I agree as well. Like, I think he could be could 
be like talent wise could be, but talent as we've seen, doesn't mean absolutely everything, but he can play himself. Yes. Ceiling wise, he's got the talent to be the second best quarterback in the big 10. Um, but a lot goes into that and uh, it starts obviously with him. And we can, we can talk about all this stuff. We can talk about everything <laughs> Wisconsin related. It just, it, everything will come back to whether he is able to take that jump that we talked about earlier in the show has to take it. He has to, he has to, for Wisconsin to be competitive and uh, win a big 10 title. And, um, what he's been these last two years isn't good enough. So I had put this out there a little while ago, but uh, I, I was interested in looking at stats and uh, this will be it for the, for the Graham Mertz centric uh, part of this as I pull this up. So we mentioned like, what would the best case scenario be now last year? I obviously undeniable. He struggled more against good defenses as most would, but the splits were, were kind of striking against top 25 SP plus defenses last year. I know you probably rolled your eyes, but SP plus defenses, top 25, 54% completion, 904 yards, four touchdowns, eight picks, three and a half adjusted yards per attempt. That is in seven games. Playing outside of top 25 defenses, which is six games, 67% completion, 1,000 plus yards, six touchdowns, three picks, 9.62 adjusted yards per attempt. So, there could be good signs, right? If he doesn't run into those more juggernaut defenses, uh, it is at this point today where SP plus falls, Wisconsin faces four top 25 defenses. So in theory, there, there could be, you know, positive signs. I don't, I don't know what to do with the, um, with the Notre Dame game. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not calling it an outlier by any stretch because it's not, but some of those interceptions trying to get back at the game when you're late. Like, I don't, I don't know how, how I view those. Do you, does do you, cause they don't, it's not like they, uh, you take that into account when you're talking about that stuff right there. Right. Like right. Game, game situation. Um, it was a little bit of, uh, different at that point. Um, with some of those, especially the last two pick sixes, the last, it's, it's pathetic that I'm having to say the last two pick sixes. Um, <laughs> but like the, the, yeah. Right. So, uh, I, I don't know what to do with that, but in, in general, quarterbacks, you're right, are going to struggle against better defenses, but it you, the the split is obviously pretty dramatic. But it's also, I would say, kind of where Wisconsin's offense, I mean, you take the Eastern Michigan game out of it, uh, Illinois, um, and then, you know, Rutgers and Northwestern, and, and that whole run where they went on and, and actually were pretty good offensively, he was pretty good um, as, a, you know, as a quarterback, right? Like, there were still turnovers in a couple of those games but for the most part those that is as good as he had played since the uh the opener against illinois in 2020 uh i'm thinking about uh the stretch where it was uh iowa Rutgers, northwestern nebraska if they get that kind of play from him yeah the iowa game yeah but the other three games take that every day and they can be very successful with a, a quarterback who's throwing six touchdowns, two interceptions, and completing well over, you know, sixty percent of his passes, uh, that three game that three game stretch, if that is who he can be on a consistent basis, this offense looks different. This team looks different. Very much agree. Um, let's move. Let, let's move on a bit. Uh, wrapping up the quarterback conversation, the quarterback ish ranking. You, you know, look at everything. In terms of Wisconsin's schedule, and I, I think the best way to do this is I'm going to run through how I would rank every or the tiers, at least, of every quarterback Wisconsin plays this year. I labeled them 1 through 13, or I guess 1 through 12, kind of, because two of them I put together. Um, do you want to stop me if I sound crazy? Sure. So Always. Stroud is the clear one. He's, he's in a different tier than everyone else. And some of the guys we had talked about, obviously, earlier, Wisconsin doesn't face. Number two, I put Casey Thompson. Okay. Number three, uh, AOC, especially with Charlie Jones on the outside. Number four, <laughs> and this is where there might be pause, I would put yeah. Cam Ward at Washington State. And he is a guy that we have, I, I don't really know what he's going to look like because he played at Incarnate Word last year. But, I mean, from the little I've seen, he is absolutely electric. Uh, 47 touchdowns last year, 10 picks, 4,600 yards, 
playing against nobody, but uh, his talent is undeniable. He was a, a sought after transfer this past year. I I think I, he would scare me as a uh, as a player more than some of the other guys because he is athletic as hell. He can he can make a lot of boom plays. I think Wisconsin matches up a lot better with an Aiden O'Connell or a Peyton Thorne than they would a Cam Ward. But I'd put him four. Yeah, I mean, I again, I don't. I, I know he's your boy, but I don't worry about Aiden O'Connell. <laughs> I don't. Uh, he looked absolutely lost last year. Like there, and again, he was very, very good after that. And um, after playing Wisconsin, but he just looked absolutely lost. And I have uh, a lot of faith in Jim Leonard and uh, in terms of what kind of defenses he's going to throw at guys. And uh, I am not necessarily uh, as uh, bullish on him. So I, I, I wouldn't, I would probably put Cam Ward ahead of him mm. in my mind. Wow. They might, because again, I don't think Charlie Jones is that good either. I know he's, I know you're obsessed with him, but I like, I don't. Like obsessed he, is not the right word. Sorry, you were obsessed with Nebraska football last year. You're enamored by Charlie Jones. I think he's a good football player. All right, good. So he's a good football player who was a very good return man. Hasn't necessarily uh, shown up in the past game nearly as much as as uh, one would be. But again, David, like David, what they did to David Bell last year, taking him away. It felt like it felt like your boy AOC had nowhere to turn to after that. That is and true. Where's where's David Bell this year? That is true. And they had Rondale Moore, obviously, the year before that. So, yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from with all that. Um, hitting the rest of these before we get to some other stuff, I would have Thorne behind Ward at number five, six, Tanner Morgan, seven, Tulia, and then the bottom tier of Petrus, Holinsky, DeVito, and then whoever is under center for Illinois State and New Mexico State. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can get on board with all that. The only guy that I question was is uh, Aiden O'Connell. So Frank Cross uh, hit us up on Twitter and appreciate you reaching out, appreciate you listening with with some stuff for us to to get to at the end of the episode. And most of this will we'll hit quick because they are yes or no questions. But he asked if the 2020 App State game was going to be rescheduled. My indication was no. I don't believe that as that is a focus of um, Wisconsin getting that rescheduled, uh, which is unfortunate because App State's one of those uh, group of five schools that is always competitive. But yeah, I don't I don't think that is um, something that is at the top of the list. I think it's also, uh, you know, what's going to happen with the Big Ten schedule is a potential could it potentially if they go to eight games, which I don't think is going to happen, but if they do. It opens up another non-conference game, and and maybe you have an opportunity to to add somebody. But um, right now, I I don't like rescheduled, rescheduled. No, like you know, you missed the Notre Dame game, you got to reschedule that one. This one, I I don't. Uh, as of right now, has not. I don't think is is on the table. Oh come on, you missed the Virginia Tech game. You got to reschedule. Uh, the Virginia. Yes, I'm talking about. Yes, you know what I'm saying. Forty Virginia years Tech, down the road, Virginia yeah. Tech. Uh, yeah. Hey. Reschedule the, the App State game for 2045 uh, and then push it back again and again and again and again for about 30 years. And then you've reached Virginia Tech. Listen, the NFL goes on their whole schedule release horse crap. The college football is playing chess. They're like, we're going to give this to you 10 years in advance so that you're not really excited by the time it comes. And then, and then you, ha- but then you have these other teams that are like scheduling like games like the week of. What was that? The Col- was it Coastal Carolina and BYU like playing- in 2020? It, yeah. it it was the biggest argument for flex scheduling. It's something I'm in favor of. I think in with this whole college football playoff atmosphere, there are times where uh, let's say an SEC team with one loss needs to boost their resume, and they might meet another team that can also. And those games would become some of the best games of the season. Like instead of Texas A&M playing the Citadel, they can call up, let's say Penn State. Let's say they both are like right on the cusp and they go play a game. I think that would be so good for the sport and everyone would bring up, oh, but you know, the logistics are too hard. We saw in 2020, App State and Coastal scheduled that literally the week of, and it was one of the most electric games of the year. So wasn't that, that's a wasn't different. Wasn't it BYU? Yeah. What did I say? App State? Yeah. Oh yeah. But, BYU. But, but, but I also yeah, say that's, 
that's like, one that's, of the state of college football arguments that I, yeah. I just can't get over. But like that's that's different than a major college team giving up a potential home game and going to play somewhere else because of the money that's involved. And that's especially the case now with uh, money apparently being very, very much uh, needed in certain places uh, in the country to hold on to their rosters. Uh, <laughs> yeah. At, at I think a, there are ways to counteract that though. Cause I mean, but like you're t- would, would you, would you, I mean like, in 2020 games were getting canceled, right? So there were, there were games getting canceled. There were opportunities to fill in. And that's why BYU and coastal Carolina were able to play that game because they had cancellations. Otherwise, like that's not normally going to be the case in uh, a non COVID world. I shouldn't say a non COVID world, but like a, a not a COVID world where people don't care about it anymore. And they're not really paying attention to it. And, um, you know, we're just going about our lives now. The uh, like, that is not going to be an opportunity all the time. Yeah, I guess my argument to counteract that or what I want to see in place is some set week towards the end of the year where, I mean, most of the power conference teams are able, like, let's say there's an open week that could be used to schedule games against other teams where uh, obviously a lot of logistics involved with moving pieces, but if two teams wanted to do that, they could go do it. Because reaching the college football playoff, that brings in more money than anything else, right? We've seen like teams are sell like the Pac-12. They eliminate divisions to get USC in the playoff pretty much or to make their chances better. I think having some week built into the year where games like that could be scheduled and eliminate like Maryland versus Howard, I think that would be good for the sport. Uh, do I have every specific detail of how it would work? No. Howard needs that money. What I mean, we're we're already we're already uh well forget it don't want to deep dive too much deep we've already gone way too long so I will uh we'll leave this for another day but I I don't think uh I'd be surprised if that happens just because uh, colleges are so into the guarantees especially the money that comes along with home games for the teams that play at home and the and the tickets and, and and the concessions and everything that goes into that money that you get and also the teams that you're paying to come in that pays for like their entire program. Um, and we've seen teams, you know, the non-conference go and play all these tough schedules and they bring in a, a ton of money because that's, that's where it's from. That's, that's how, that's how they're paying for their programs, not just their football program, but programs up and down the line. So um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's going to be difficult to do, even though I think I'm definitely in favor of it. You clearly are as well, but I think it's uh, more difficult than anything to get that done. All right, couple couple more things before we sign off. Uh, Frank also asks if nine and four is disappointing. In parentheses, he said Minnesota and Purdue would go nuts with that record. And my very simple answer to this is: if Wisconsin goes nine and four and misses the Big Ten title and doesn't win the Big Ten West, yeah, I'll be disappointed. If they go nine and four but they win the Big Ten West, then I would consider it somewhat of a success. Are we talking about? this year, like just solely this year or all the time? I don't know how it's worded. I guess my answer is this year. Okay. Because when you go um, 11 and three, or you go 10 and three, 11 and three, 13 and one and 10 and four in five and four of your first five years at a program, nine and four is going to be disappointing to a, a large uh, section of the fan base. When you're playing in the Cotton Bowl and the Holiday Bowl and the Orange Bowl and the Rose Bowl, and then you're playing in the Duke's Mayo Bowl and Las Vegas Bowl, 9-4 is going to be a disappointment uh, because you set a standard. And now your standard uh, is being unranked in at the end of the last three of the last four years. Um, so, yes, dis, uh, disappointment. Wisconsin has gotten very, very uh, expect like expectations are at a level that nine and four isn't good enough. Now this year with the schedule that they have, especially on the road, I would probably say nine and four sounds about like, right at the end of the year. I mean, maybe nine and three during the regular season or maybe eight and four during the regular season. Then you go and win your bowl game. But uh, nine and four overall at Wisconsin has become not good enough for a lot of people. You are right. I, have no respect for that damn Mayo company and how they do business with people. But that's another story for another day. Uh, yes. Last last thing, he mentions pre-snap movement. 
This is a larger conversation, but in light of this, I decided to pull up some tweets. And I'd mentioned to you earlier when they're from, but I'm going to say them, and then I'm going to tell you the date. Uh, one, one guy tweets, Badgers aren't using motion as much pre-snap. What the hell are they doing? That is November 24th, 2012. The next one, this Michigan State-Wisconsin crowd is amazing. Third down place, he's one side go nuts, pre-snap, and then another. Oh, actually, that wasn't about it specifically. I meant to skip that one. <laughs> Uh, the other one, Wisconsin's doing a ton of pre-snap motioning, trying to throw Nebraska off like UCLA did before the snap. That is from September 29th, 2012. I can guarantee this has been a conversation literally every year. And my answer to it is, I think there are a lot of factors at play. Do I think it's a valuable tool to use to help your quarterback look at a defense? Absolutely. But it has to do with who you have at skill positions. Like people talk about, why don't you run more jet sweeps? It's like other things in other factors of the offense have to work in order for that to work. Like if you're going to run a certain wide receiver, I'm not going to name his name because that's a, a, a big, you know, uh, people go off when this name gets mentioned. But I, if he's running across and you have no threat of a run game, no threat of a pass game, it's not going to work. So I guess where I come down on this is like, yeah, I would love their offense to have multiple dimensions that are effective, but I can't just look at one thing of them not calling more uh, jet sweeps or whatever people wanted. Like, yeah, I want receivers to be in motion before the snap in order to help the quarterback know what defense uh, what defense he's facing. But aside from that, they just need to find things that work. And when other things don't work, that won't either. Yeah. Um, so when we talked about this earlier today, you said 2011. And so I was thinking about the final year of Paul Christ as the offensive coordinator when they had Russell Wilson and uh, putting up 45 points a game. And I'm like, that well, was yeah. the middle tweet, but I, okay. I didn't realize yeah. that it didn't actually talk about the pre-stat motion. Yeah. The other two tweets from 2012 uh, game against Nebraska, where they jumped out to a huge lead early and then lost. And the other, what was the other date? November 24th. Yeah. 2012. Yeah, Penn State uh, at Penn State, a loss in overtime when they scored 21 points and um, yeah, didn't do a whole lot offensively. So, yeah, I don't um, I uh, that year and I know you're talking about specifics, but I can't address this without addressing what happened that year with Matt Canada. His first year as the offense coordinator, his only year as the offense coordinator at Wisconsin uh, with Brett Bielma, you know, obviously. Paul Christ now at Pitt, at Pittsburgh and had taken Bob Bostad and Joe Rudolph with him out there. Uh, Brett Bielma had a very heavy hand, I would say, on the offense. Uh, held him, held Matt Canada down in a lot of what he wanted to do. And it wasn't until the Big Ten championship game that he kind of took his hand his his hand off and just let Matt Canada do whatever he wanted to do. And there was so much pre-stamp motion and so many jet sweeps and so many like passes from uh, James White for a touchdown passes from uh, Jared Aberdares back to Kurt Phillips for a, for a big game. Like they, they emptied the playbook that night with pre-snap motion and all those things that people love to, to see when they work. Um, but it, like the, the times that the other times that you're talking about, it, it didn't help. Um, so everyone likes what works everyone. And when it doesn't work, do something else. That's that is as simple as it gets when it comes to people having issues with the play calling. That's it, that's it. That's all. If you if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, do something else. And in, and I think it's a lot more complex than that, obviously, including pre-snap motion and getting the defense's eyes moving and figuring out what what they're running uh, based on how they're adjusting to your motion. So there's a lot that goes into it, but when it comes down to it. I like things, uh, fans like things that work and they don't like things that don't work and they want something different if it doesn't work. I cannot wait until week four at Ohio State when the offense, let's say in theory, reaches some level of stagnation. And then everyone looks at Bobby Ingram and says, why aren't you doing more jet sweeps? Right. I can already hear the calls. Don't, it's gonna don't, happen. You, don't you remember when Jazz Peavy was kicking Ohio State's <laughs> butt back in 2016 with those jet sweeps. Why aren't, why aren't we doing more of those? Do those. Those work. Uh, again, and I'm not sitting, and I, I am far from anybody sitting here and saying I know exactly what would work and what doesn't. Um, but it, it feels just so simple to sit back and say, 
you need to do this when something's not working. Right. Agree completely. All right. Good stuff. Uh, that's going to do it for us. So we are back. I said this last week and I did that without checking the schedule. This time I did. We are back next Thursday. Uh, the Brewers play during the day. We're back 6 to 7 p.m. 96.7 uh, The Zone on the streaming app uh, on a lot of a lot of services. The podcast then will obviously be up after. Uh, since this, again, is only a podcast, subscribe, rate, like, do all that stuff. The beauties of modern technology now allow us, when we have a radio show, to put it in this form as well. And it's easy to interact this way, leave a review, you can always tweet at the show at Kenny underscore Heilprin. But thanks, everyone, for sticking around. We will talk to you next week. See ya. We also have a special guest uh, planned. Kenny and Heilprin, Thursdays from 6 to 7 and on demand at madcitysportszone.com.